welcome back to AA Opera. This is episode 51. What what? Woof woof. Thanks for joining us again. I have to stop making weird noises like that every time. It's like <laughs> I get excited as if we've never recorded an episode before. I know. But it's because it, the number hits us every week. Like we kind of forget how far we are. But um, it's good to be back this week, back on a roll in season four. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abby, how has your week been? My week has been nice 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 it has been nice i am trying to get into some kind of weird routine but i've been actually singing more and it's been so good for the soul um so that's been nice i am also looking at new songs and the new rep and i just it does get the jitters going like oh oh yeah um so yeah but not much else i mean i really would like to say Oh, you know, I did so much this week. It was so exciting. But I We're mean, lockdown. it has I mean, been so it. dark out all week. Yeah. Yeah, I know. This is this is what I was saying. It, it is harder than the first lockdown during the summer cuz you know, you could just go for a nice stroll in the sun, get a tan. Yeah. <laughs> some of us can no. get a tan, some of us can't. <laughs> what what about you? How was your week? Uh, good. Uh, sounds very similar, actually. Um, I've been trying to get into like a good exercise routine. Uh, so I've been doing that and I've been enjoying it. It's uh, very important to move when you're stuck in a one bedroom flat. So getting the heart rate up in the morning is very important. Um, and yeah, I've also been doing a good bit of singing. Finally, finally secured uh, a regular teacher, which I haven't talked to you properly no, you about haven't. yet. Um, when so we that's starting. Mics, you will tell me the yeah. rest. <laughs> but starting next week, so like I, I'm feeling motivated with that now. Like I've got stuff to to work for. You mm-hmm. know, it can get a bit challenging. Um, so yes, it's been really good. Um, but we are really, really excited to share this week's guest, uh, Keith Shapiro. Now you know Keith. You go way back. <laughs> I've known Keith since I'm since I was fourteen. <laughs> Because um, his daughter and I are very, very close friends. We met in summer camp. Um, music summer camp. Musical theater summer camp, actually. Oh, amazing. She was there as a, playing the flute. And we met in choir. And I was in the uh, MT department. Um, yeah, and we stayed really, really good friends. And I was her bridesmaid who couldn't actually be at her wedding, which was very disappointed. But, um, yeah, and Keith is just like an uncle that I've always had around. He's just the most loving, supportive person on the planet. Our listeners are very much going to hear that in just in just a second. But it's so, so good to hear about a totally new area of, you know, production. Um, it's a super, super interesting episode. Um, Keith has worked on so many cool projects. So um, many cool projects. And you can, like, fangirl out on, like, not only opera, but, like, lots of other really, really cool things. Yes. Yeah, indeed. So I think, without further ado, here's Keith. So, hello, Keith. We are here with Keith Shapiro, who I've known pretty much my whole life because you're one of my closest friends' dads. So this is really exciting to sit here and get to know you better, not just as Skylar's dad, but as you. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, thank you. Um, well, thanks so much, both of you, for having me. 
I really appreciate it. I've been following you uh, online and you're doing a phenomenal job. So congrats to both of you. Thank you. Um, so I'm Keith Shapiro. I'm the director of finishing for Hell's Color Kitchen, which is a post-production facility in New York City, Midtown Manhattan. And we do uh, finishing which is color grading and sound mixing for television shows, television series, documentaries, feature films, you name it, we do it. And I've been doing it for almost 40 years. So I'm, I'm going to hit 40 years. I know it's a long, <laughs> couple, a little long, long time. Uh, but I, yeah, I'll be starting my 40th year um, soon. And um, it's just, uh, I still love what I do every day. I walk in uh, when I'm now into the off, back into the office. Um, I walk in and with a smile on my face, I'm very fortunate to surround myself with a group of very talented people, but also good people and uh, my family. So that's great. That's, yeah. that's really nice to hear. And I mean, let's over on AA Opera, we can't not talk about opera. And we know that you've, you've worked close with the Met before. We were wondering what was your first experience with opera in general? So yes, I've been very blessed to uh, to work uh, with the Metropolitan Opera specifically um, for the past uh, 13 years. Yeah, uh, I went to a, um, it was a holiday party and I met this gentleman who, uh, Gary Bradley, who's been editing the Metropolitan Opera series for the past, I think probably 25 years. And uh, so he was working at another editing facility doing it. So he's the editor, he and Laura Young, who's his senior editor. Um, they've been doing this for, as I said, about 25 years. And um, then they go and they finish at another editing facility like Hell's Color Kitchen, like ours. Uh, but he was working at a couple of other facilities and I was able to convince him after it took about a year and a half to have him come over to work with our team. And uh, we've been very fortunate and he introduced us to the Metropolitan Opera. And they're incredible, um, wonderful people to work with, not just artists, great artists, but um, wonderful producers, good people. And we've been very fortunate. Um, so uh, we've been, they followed us uh, from, we were at another editing facility and then we moved to Hell's Color Kitchen about four years ago and they followed us there as well. And uh, they're just part of our family, so. Amazing. That's incredible. But what yeah. was your but what was your first introduction to opera in general? It probably, um, you know, I mean, obviously, I've heard about uh, the opera, and I, I'm sure I went to. I think I went to see one opera back in the early 2000s. Um, but I, I wasn't. I wasn't a, a very big into opera. I was an aficionado. Um, it wasn't something that my friends were really into. And then once we started, 13 years ago. Uh, we started doing the finishing for the series is when we really, I really mm -hmm. got into it and really was uh, interested in it. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. And we're very, very fortunate. I'm fortunate to have a great team behind me. Um, you know, there we're all, we're, we're all of us together are the ones who get everything done. I'm actually the one who uh, is not doing the work. So it's really the team. It's uh, Rick, who's our senior colorist and, Sheila, who's the manager of operations, who runs the, the company. Yeah. And uh, then there's Baran and Javier and, uh, and John, one of the other senior uh, editors. And, you know, so it's really them who are doing all the work. I'm just the one who's just kind of sitting behind and was able to, fortunate to bring the, the business in. Um, so, uh, but 
the Met are just wonderful people to work with. Of course, as you know, that they unfortunately canceled this season, um, which was very sad. But Peter Gelb, who is the general manager for the Met, um, is just, I, I think he's uh, a genius of marketing because he's made sure that even though they closed the doors of the, of the opera house back in March, he's mm -hmm. kept the opera in everyone's face uh, every single day. Um, sure. Starting with, yeah. the, you know, so there, if you go on to Met, uh, the metropolitanopera.org, uh, metopera.org, you people can stream live free operas every single day. And so it's there, he's made sure that to keep it going um, and now they have this recital series, which they started uh, about uh, a month and a half ago, um, where so they're shooting recitals for these incredible artists all around the world. Um, I think Jonas Kaufman was the first one that they recorded. Um, so, and uh, Renee Fleming is another one. Um, so, um, and- Big names. It goes, it goes on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, so he's made sure that he's, that to, continue creating content even though the doors are closed um that he's creating content so just an incredible genius uh, a yeah. wonderful person so i feel that's i feel that's been one of the best things to come out of the coronavirus is that i feel opera is ha it has reached more people because it's been more accessible online and especially like right. the met offering things for free um that's you know it's a huge step forward obviously it's not the ideal but um Thank you to to every uh, to the Met and to every opera company that is producing this stuff. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Oh, it absolutely is. But we want to get to know a little bit more about mm -hmm. what what got you into post production and management work that, as you said, spans TV, film, and some award shows as well. Oh well, thanks. Mm -hmm. um, it actually was okay. So when I went to college back uh, in the Stone Age. Um, <laughs> back in 1977, um, I actually was a computer graphics major um, because I didn't know it, what I wanted to do in, my, uh, in high school. My counselor said, oh, why don't you go into computer graphics? Computers is the wave of the future. I was like, oh, that's great. So um, the computers were the size of refrigerators back then, seriously. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. And I was terrible. I literally f flunked out the first semester uh, in college um, because I just, it just wasn't my thing. Wasn't, I'm, I mean, I'm good at math, but not science. So I had to pick another major. And um, one of my dorm mates said, well, I'm in radio and television. So I, I got into uh, the television major and uh, I, um, I started in the video department and I did uh, three different internships. And that's basically how I got into this business was all behind the scenes. And everything for me is all behind the scenes, um, learning how to edit, learning how to, um, to shoot, record, um, whatever it was. And then I was fortunate enough to get a job after, it took me eight months. I went back to my job at scooping ice cream at Baskin Robbins after college, after I spent all those thousands of dollars in all four <laughs> years. Um, but uh, so basically I got a job at Showtime in the shipping room, Showtime oh, Cable wow. Network, which had just started about two years prior. So that was in 1981. And um, I went into the shipping room and I just worked my way up and, um, you know, and I just worked as, as many hours as I could uh, to learn what was going on in the company. And then I went from 
Showtime and then there was no another place to grow within the company. So I ended up uh, going to HBO. There was a job there at their broadcast network as an assistant director. And then I left there and went into the post-production business, which is what I've been doing. Uh, so that was in the summer of 1985. So that was uh, uh, 30, whatever, eight years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that I've been in the post-production business, which is the fit. And mostly what we do is finishing television series and documentaries and feature films, like I said. Um, and uh, so I went from one facility, post-production facility to another. Um, and for, I've been very fortunate that the team that I'm with now, we've all been together for about 16 years. Um, oh, cool. So I was able to, the owner of our last company um, retired and he closed the company. So I was able to move the team over to another company, which is now, which is called MPE Motion Picture Enterprises. Um, and so the owner, Neil Pilzer, was fortunate enough we were able to make a deal that I could bring the team over, um, as many of the team that I could. Uh, and, then, um, and then we grew the business from there. Uh, yeah. We built this beautiful facility, which Avi saw yes um, i did it's and we really actually cool. yeah and then since then um about a year and a half ago we built a um we started building an audio post-production facility as well oh, so what cool. you saw was the color the, the video finishing um and now we also are doing audio finishing um so we just finished that in january it's a beautiful just pretty pretty much a mirror of the color finishing um we have two big uh color uh, uh audio suites um, in addition to the four color suites, we have the two audio suites and a voiceover booth. Uh, and that finished in January. And then two months later, we had to close the doors. And uh, so that was really, you know, difficult. But, um, uh, yeah. but fortunate, you know, we have this company, this parent company who owns equipment, a lot of mm. equipment. So we were able to outfit all the team, the colorist and the sound mixer with the proper gear editing equipment and sound mixing equipment and they would take it home and so for about four months straight we were working totally remotely mm-hmm. uh, we weren't in the facility and then back july 6th we started going back into the facility um, once the governor of new york said that we could start we could get back in mm-hmm. um, so but i mean for me it the biggest thing is our team um, we're a family like i said we've a lot of us have been together for many, many years. And then we keep on growing and adding different people. And all of them are just good, solid people. And I'm happy, very happy to be with them every day. And that's, that's the biggest thing mm-hmm. for me. Um, yeah. When I got interviewed by the Motion Picture Academy, um, because we went, when we went remote, um, and they were like, well, what's the most difficult thing for you? And with the equipment, and I said, well, fortunately, because our company owns uh, 500 editing systems, we were able to outfit the team with the proper equipment. But it's that we're not there together. Because it's like a separation of your family. Mm-hmm. So, so we do these Zoom calls every day. We were doing Zoom calls with the team and, you know, just good to see everybody every day because that's yeah. what we do. We, we live with these people, you know, and we're all together as a family. I think it's really important to also mention that when you're doing work that you guys do, it's always in dark rooms. Like I remember coming into your office and I was like, it could be any time of day right now. (laughs) And I think like the specific color, like it's something that no one would think about if they're not in the industry of like what it is to do coloring. 
So yes. what does that exactly, like, what would a film be like if you wouldn't sit and color color it? If it wasn't colored? Yeah. Um, so if, it, if, the, if the film wasn't colored, I mean, you know, our, the, the colorist um, uh, in our team is Rick and John and Ian. Um, they're amazing. Um, it would, basically, it's, you know, when, 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 especially we do a lot of documentaries. And so you can't, uh, they're not setups where, you know, sometimes when you're doing interviews inside, they can um, set up the lighting. But um, if you're not in, in a set where mm. you can do that, which is most of the time when you're shooting a documentary, you're in the field, you have no control over light and sound. So what they do is they make it as beautiful as possible and get everything to look as seamless as possible. Um, in, and that's what, when they color grade, they just make mm. everything look as best as it can be. Um, and the same thing with our sound mixer. Um, Ball, uh, we have Bob and Paul is a, a new sound mixer that added to our team. Um, um, and we have a young uh, sound uh, assistant, uh, Brian, who's, who's doing great. Um, so what they do is they do the same thing is where, you know, there's a lot of times where they don't have control over the sound when you're shooting a documentary, you're in the field. So they're just trying to make it as best as possible, sound as, as, uh, as best as possible. So that's mm -hmm. all I can say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great to hear about these amazing facilities that you have. Um, but could you tell us a little bit more about the influence behind Hell's Color Kitchen and more specifically about the work that you do? So, um, you know, we were just very fortunate um, that we are able to work with some great production companies. Um, so basically, as I said, a lot of the work that we do, we do a lot of documentaries. So I'd say probably about two thirds of our business are documentaries. So it's these relationships that we've created over the, the past 16 years mm -hmm. um, that we've been together. Um, so we've been working with documentary companies. Like right now we're working with a company uh, stick figure productions um, that we did. We've done about five documentaries with them. Right now we're working on another film uh, that's going to come out soon, which I, so I can't talk about it. But uh, <laughs> uh, so, um, but you know, we're very fortunate that we've able to uh, create these different uh, relationships with these documentary companies. Uh, Firelight Films, Stanley Nelson. Um, uh, who's an incredible documentary filmmaker for the past uh, 30 years. He actually has uh, premiered at Sundance Film Festival more than any director in the history of Sundance, I think 10 times. <laughs> um, so we're oh, just wow. like so fortunate, so blessed to collaborate with him. Um, so we're just finishing a, um, a film right now with him, um, which I can't say it's uh, about crack uh, in the 1980s. Um, that's for Netflix. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so that's that's happening now, and uh, yeah, there's just we I, film after film after film. So so basically, it's creating these different relationships, and then fortunate enough that if we do the work that we should, and you know, we're able to uh, meet their budgets, which is my part, um, and that our colorists and sound mixers are able to make sure that they do the the, the great quality that they're that these filmmakers are looking for, then then we'll keep on going with these people with these filmmakers. So. That's basically what Hell's Color Kitchen is about. Uh, mostly doing a lot of documentary series. We're doing 
um, two documentary series right now for investigative investigative discovery. Those are um, always so fun to watch. Yeah, so we're doing two documentaries for them. We have another one that's um, for Oxygen, which is also an investigative discovery uh, series. Um, and then another one with Stick Figure that's going to be coming up um, also the same kind of investigative discovery. So fortunate we're going to be do, working on four different series. Um, wow. Yeah, so. Really cool. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also incredible that you guys sort of found your niche. Like, I think it's not to people from who are just starting out and trying to say, I want to work in the TV and film industry, but don't exactly have an idea of what they want to do. Hmm. Finding something that you enjoy and clipping onto it and finding your skills is like really important. How did you find your niche and then build and build the work out into the niche? It's a very good question. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really just being, the big part of it is just hard work ethic. Um, and that's every single person on our team. That's the biggest thing I can say is we make sure that no matter how many hours we need to put into something, we'll get the job done and we'll do it the best we can because we go that extra mile. And that's what we should do. Um, and, and that's why we're fortunate enough that people want to stay with us because we put that extra uh, mile into it. And at the same time, I have to make sure to, to, to keep the budget down um, to what it needs to be, uh, what it needs to meet for that filmmaker. So we might put some extra time into it and not charge them for that. Just don't tell my boss. No, I'm okay. yeah. um, no. So uh, no, but we know that and that's what we need to do. We need to put that extra that extra mile into it and also just be good people and make sure that, you know, they know that we're, we have their back. Um, mm -hmm. We have each other's backs at the company at Hell's Color Kitchen and we have our clients back yeah. at whoever the clients are. And they aren't clients. They become part of our family. And that's the biggest thing. And if you'll see on our um, website, our motto is family first. So that goes from the, the team and our clients. Everyone is family. And that's the way we've been doing it for the past, uh, when we were at the other company before. Um, so that, that's now 24 years that we've been mm. doing this. So, um, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So I think, th I think that the biggest thing that I can, um, that I would tell people is, is just to really know that you have to work so hard, um, no matter what you're doing, that you have to, this is not a nine to five job for sure. Um, mm -hmm. So if it's, you know, I, um, we, we used to have a, an internship program um, at, at the, our prior company. Um, and we're fortunate that we still work with now with uh, some of those people that were the interns became, we have one of the, the people who was uh, Baran, who was, um, was with us as an intern. He was so great that I said, we have, to, we have to hire this guy before somebody else does. And so he came on and he's been with us for 16 years. And the thing is that he just worked, his work ethic was exactly like ours, which is to just work as many hours as you can to get the job done and do it the best as possible. Um, so that's every single one of us at Hell's Color Kitchen has that same work ethic. Sheila, who's the manager of operations, and she you know, really runs the day-to-day -day, uh, operations of the, of the team. She's amazing. Um, you know, she and I, we're, we're up uh, in the middle of the night many times uh, 
you know, emailing and talking. It's not that we want to be, but we're doing it. Um, so she does it, it just incredible. She's mm. amazing um, what she does and how much she puts into it every single day. And it's and weekends and it's, we just know that that, if we go that extra mile, that we're going to hope that the clients are going to stay with us. Unfortunately, they have. Um, mm. And I think that that's the biggest thing that I always tell the interns, people who are coming into the business that, listen, if you want, if you're somebody who you want to just leave at the end of the day at five o'clock and you think this is like a, a, a corporate job that's going to be like, a, as they sometimes like banker's hours, somebody mm. used to say, I used to have this uh, filmmaker who used to say, um, that if an editor wanted to leave, he's like, what? He used to call me the general because I was the general manager. General, general, what is this? Is this banker's hours? Because that's what this business is about. It's about working long hours. And the, the harder you work, the longer you work, the more that you're going to be able to, to keep it going for now. You know, fortunately, I've been doing this for almost 40 years. Um, but it's really the people. And um, the, the people that, you know, we all work together and no one is like, you know, I might be the person that runs the company, but we're all at the same level. Everybody is, we're all the same, we're a team. Um, and I'm very fortunate to work with these really good people. Yeah. So, so it's good work ethic yes. and good relationships are the secret to success. <laughs> um, you say you had, you know, a, an internship program. Have you got any um, tips for young people trying to make their way in the creative arts? Obviously, you said the work ethic and the good yes. relationships, but young people who are trying to step out there and get onto the ladder, have you got any advice for that? I mean, the biggest thing, again, don't want to, just to repeat myself, is that um, is really the work, the work ethic. You know, that is the biggest thing um, that people have to know that they have to come into it and uh, that they also should be asking you know what else can i do you know at the to be asking oh what else do you have do you have something else i can do is there something that i can can help you with um is there something that i can do after hours and that's what i did and when i worked at showtime i was working in the shipping room um my hours were 8 a.m to 4 p.m i was off the clock i wasn't there wasn't a job for me to do after 4 p.m but what i did was i went over and worked with the producers in the production division and they would go to editing facilities. So I'd go with them on my own time. I wasn't getting paid for it. And that's the kind of thing that I would say to tell people is that the work ethic, but also look to the people, ask somebody for what else that you can do to help them and, and help, which helps you to learn more and to stay that extra hours, those extra hours and whatever it is to get the job done. Don't worry about the clock so much. This can be applied to, to everything. It's not, Absolutely. Not just the Absolutely. industry. It's, it's everything across the board. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I feel a bit like a sponge because all of our guests have been from different threads of specifically in the opera industry. And it's so refreshing mm -hmm. to, um, to just hear from someone like yourself. The film industry, I just really, I think it's amazing. Well, I was that kid who... I'd buy the DVD um, and then I'd always watch like the extra bits of like how it was made afterwards. I was probably more interested in that than the actual thing. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting um, because with the, it's interesting, you know, I just um, had lunch yesterday with someone from the Metropolitan Opera. Um, and I realized that the reason why they 
are successful is the same thing, is the, it's the same work ethic. Um, so it doesn't matter, uh, like you're saying, it doesn't matter what industry it is, you know, whether it's uh, opera or it's um, post-production business. You know, she um, also was talking about how she was working, you know, to, I know that they have to work on the weekends, they're doing these recitals, um, and they have the same work ethic. And um, she's been there for over 25 years at the Met. Um, and that's probably a big reason because that, and, and I can say for all the people that are there, just um, great, just really great people down to earth, um, hardworking, um, and so talented all at the Metropolitan Opera. So we're very blessed to be, to be working with them. And I'm, you know, for me, it's that it's, you know, I'm not the one who's doing the day to day. It's the, it's the Rick and Sheila and, um, and John and Baran and, and, and Ian and, you know, all, and Javier and all the, our team um, who are working on the Met, you know, they're the ones who are getting it all done. Um, so, you know, I'm just very fortunate to be working with these good people. So I say, be a good person. Um, take care of the other per people that you're working with. Make sure that um, you have their back at all times and, um, and work hard. Amazing. Yeah. Well, if any of our listeners would like to find you and reach out, is there any way to, what's the best way to get in touch? The best way to do is to email me, um, which is at Keith at hellscolorkitchen.com. Amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming and talking Thank to us. Thank you both. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was, uh, it was great. This week's question for us and for the listeners ha is best opera you've seen on the big screen. Mm. <laughs> mm. Now, um, I'm sorry, but Britain screams to mind for me. Um, I've seen which one? Which one? It's the Glyndebourne production of Peter Grimes. Was incredible. Um, we were like at uni, and we did a bit of a opera watch party one afternoon when we should have all been writing essays. Um, and I remember watching it, and I was just like transfixed. It was really great. Um, but also, I'd like to give a shout out to the. Royal Opera House live streams that they did in cinemas for quite a while. I think obviously they've stopped, they've... but I remember before I moved to London and stuff, I was in sixth form and I'd go to like the local cinema, like local, local, small town cinema, and there'd be yeah. um, streams from Royal Opera House in there. I would... Yeah, I've never gone to one in the theatre, but they did have those in Israel as well. The They had the Met ones, not the Royal Opera House ones. Mm. Um, but I have downloaded them off of YouTube Thank in the past. Girl. <laughs> uh, uh, in the past, back when this was easier and the rules were a little more bended, <laughs> sort of. Um, but yeah, no, I think because they also used to do the um, the BP screenings would also go live on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. And. Um, I saw a bunch of those that way, but also, I mean, they've been really good also with screening them during the pandemic, like when they used to have them every two, every other week. Yeah. Um, cause they would switch off and they're back again now. They had André Chenier. Yes. Last week. Yeah, they did. Um, and 
I don't know what's coming up next. But I think the f- best one that I saw, and still, like, I revert back to it, is the ROH Tosca from, with Angelina Gheorghiu mm-hmm. and Bryn Terfel yeah. and Jonas Kaufman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's so many to choose from because I do watch a lot of operas that way. Well, we, you know, we all do now. That's why it was such a, a good question. I mean, obviously, it links to Keith because Keith has worked directly with the Met. But, um, yeah, it, yeah, this is how we're watching opera these days. Speaking of the Met productions, I think there's a lot of them that um, it was just you. What's great is that you're in the show and they have those like talky bits. I think the second best one that I saw that I really, really enjoyed was back when like this is all the just started in my own world was the Yevgeny Onyegin from the Met because then they you also watch them like put the stage together in between acts oh I love that I love that obviously yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) if you can find it check it out the uh, it's with Anna Netrebko and the classics um, (laughs) the classics yeah um that's so cool Mm -hmm. though I mean we've obviously started these a opera watch parties as well and we uh we watch Pavarotti on Prime which was so so good please go check it out it's it's really yeah. really interesting um but we hope to actually you know stream an actual opera in the future um so if you want to join us for one of those then uh do go check out our Patreon and you can be there Well, that is all for episode 51. Thank you so, so much for listening and big thanks to Keith for joining us. It was great to hear about everything that you do and just bring smiles to our faces in a time that we need that most. <laughs> yes, and as well, check out Keith has a new it has a new collaboration with Netflix out now called Crack. If you are in the US, it's definitely on the US Netflix. We're not sure if it's on the British Netflix yet. But coming soon to British Netflix. Out. Coming soon. <laughs> and obviously, whenever you watch any um, Met Opera live stream, whatever, know that Keith was involved in making sure that that was nice for your eyes. Looking yeah. good. Looking good. <laughs> Please remember to follow us on social media. We are AA Opera everywhere. Um, <laughs> so do check us out. And don't forget to rate this podcast. Every five-star review really helps push us up there so more people get to hear these amazing people that we talk to. Um, And lastly, thank you very much to Prime Phonic for sponsoring this episode and season four. That's all. That's all. We will see you next week, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.